0: Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Ambreen Khan. Each week, we explore how beliefs shape our world. Over the past few months, we've been listening to A Prayer for Salmon. That's a multi-part series produced by our friends at The Spiritual Edge— Producer Judy Silber brings us the story of the Winnemem Wintu Indigenous people of Northern California as they fight government efforts to raise the level of the Shasta Dam. Their plight is not just political, but spiritual, one rooted in the ebbs and flows of our natural world. Throughout this series, Indigenous voices, including that of scholar Dr. Lila June Johnson, explain how the land and fish are woven into the Indigenous beliefs and spiritual practices of the Winnemum Wintu people, from their origin story to rituals marking the passage into adulthood and beyond. Now this week, as this series comes to a close, we are reminded... That although the Winneman went to as a community has dwindled in size, their resistance and their voice and solidarity for their cause has grown. Producer Judy Silver picks up the story. What will it mean for you
1: to have the seven come back? Something that has been missing, something that was taken away from us, has now been replaced in that river and because of that things will will change for us we don't know what it's not going to give us fishing rights it's not going to give us land back on our river we don't know what it will do but we know that the salmon are our leaders and they are a change agent and that if we do this prayer that something will happen we don't know exactly what it would be for us But I think the salmon are our only hope.
2: (laughs) From the spiritual edge, this is A Prayer for Salmon, an audio documentary series about the Winnemum Wintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silber.
3: The message came through of the salmon going through the ice waterfall. is going to go away from the river at the time. They were like, what? How's how's the salmon going to go away?
2: There's a -a Winnemum-Wintu prophecy that had always puzzled Chief Kaleen Sisk. It arose in the late 19th century after the U.S. government established the West Coast's first salmon hatchery on their river, the McLeod. The prophecy said salmon would go away, but then wait in the ice waterfalls. You
1: no, know, it's like, here's the story about the salmon will wait for us, right? And I was thinking like, I wonder if that's true or not. You know how you get, it's like, okay, here's the story. I wonder if that's a true story.
2: She had so many questions. How did her ancestors know the salmon would disappear? Because at the time there were loads, And then there was this idea that the salmon would wait behind the ice waterfalls. What did they mean by that?
1: And then we did the uh, war dance on the dam in 2004 because they're planning to raise the dam to flood our sacred sites. And so we were uh, there to tell the world, you know, what's happening here. And after that, uh, we heard from New Zealand that they had our salmon.
2: A New Zealand professor named Roy Montgomery wrote to the Winnemum Wintu. Salmon from Northern California swam in New Zealand, he told them. Their origins could be traced back to the McLeod River and possibly other creeks nearby. This was news to the tribe. It got them thinking, could they get these salmon back? Like, how did you feel when you got that email?
1: Oh, we were ecstatic. It's like, uh, yeah, we want our salmon back. New Zealand's
2: salmon population exists because of eggs shipped from Northern California about 100 years ago. There's some debate in the scientific community about whether the stock originated in the McLeod River or another nearby waterway called Battle Creek. But the went to fully believe that these are their fish. Their existence lines up perfectly
1: with the prophecy. Their mountain has ice waterfalls, and it's the only place in the world that the salmon thrived and lived. Everywhere else they send our salmon, they died.
2: Ever since the Winnama discovered these salmon were in New Zealand, they've been intent on bringing them back to the McLeod. I'm going to tell you about those heroic efforts that have gone on now for almost two decades. But first, we're going to go back in time so you can understand how these fish got to New Zealand in the first place, because they didn't swim there. We start in 1871, On the East Coast, fish stocks were plummeting. Fishermen were turning on each other, fighting for a dwindling catch. So Congress established a brand new United States Commission of Fish and Fisheries. They asked a renowned naturalist named Spencer Baird to lead it. He thought science could help establish regulations that would preserve the ocean's fish. But local politicians wouldn't listen. So Spencer Baird started pushing a different tactic—hatcheries. The rationale was, if overfishing couldn't be stopped, then hatcheries would provide a steady supply of fish in the same way that farms grow food. The government has invested in hatcheries as if it could make up for man's hubris, including overfishing and dams. It hasn't worked. Salmon runs are imperiled. Yet Spencer Baird's legacy persists. In 1872, he sent a fish culturist named Livingston Stone out to California. He set up the West Coast's first salmon hatchery on the McLeod River. The hatchery sent salmon eggs to the East Coast by rail. It also shipped eggs to at least eight other countries.
4: That was part of a large movement movement. Globally, actually.
2: Rasmus Gabrielson is a manager with New Zealand's Fish and Wildlife Council. He tells me that settlers in places such as the United States, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand miss plants and animals from their homelands.
4: When the pioneers came to New Zealand, I guess they saw lakes and rivers that in their minds were empty. They saw an empty niche for fish that they were used to seeing, like salmon and trout from their homelands, that didn't exist here because we're on the other side of the equator.
2: From the Macleod River Hatchery, Livingston Stone sent shipments of salmon eggs to New Zealand. New Zealand's chief inspector of fisheries focused on planting them in just one river, the Waitaki, on the country's South Island.
4: Big system with a lot of flow that's tracked the salmon number of stable spring creeks and and side tributaries. He wanted to focus his efforts for a number of years on one system and really give it a good go. And very quickly, that proved to be a successful strategy.
2: Chief Kaline didn't know any of this New Zealand history until after the war dance in 2004. But once she heard, she knew immediately she wanted those fish back on the McLeod.
1: Of course, we had really no capacity uh, to travel there and to really push that forward right then.
2: But the seed had been planted. At a United Nations Conference for Indigenous Rights, Chief Kaleen sought out New Zealand's representatives. She asked what they knew about the salmon, which wasn't a whole lot. Then back in her home territory, a prayer came through that helped form the beginnings of a plan. The Winnama Wintu would go to New Zealand to dance and pray for the salmon there.
1: And so I was trying to figure out what kind of prayer this is. Is it okay for just me and maybe two other people to go? Is it okay for four people? Is that going to answer this Hall.
2: In the end, in 2010, 28 people boarded a plane bound for Christchurch. It had been five years since they'd first heard about the New Zealand salmon. We made it. We made it. We're here. Videographer Will Doolittle accompanied the Winnemon Wintu on their trip. The audio you hear from New Zealand is from his documentary, Dancing Salmon
5: Home. <laughs>
2: Representatives of the Maori people greeted them at the airport.
3: And they did their whole welcoming ceremony right there as soon as we got off the plane.
2: Here's Michael Preston, son of Chief Kaline.
3: Right in the middle of everything and everybody in the airport, and it was cool.
2: It didn't seem to phase anyone around them.
3: It was like, wow, we're in a country that doesn't deem their indigenous people as outside of the mainstream. So that was a a comforting feeling for us, you know, because we're not used to that here in California.
2: Over the next few weeks, the Winnemum went to toward the South Island.
3: We went to the Sacred Lake and put down prayers
1: with them there and, you know, tried to get familiar with how they saw their country, how they saw the spirit beings, and asking permission that we might be able to do this in a good way.
2: Everywhere they went, they received a formal welcome from the local Maori,
6: So we welcome you
5: here, and we give you our greetings
2: This interview with the late Maori leader, John Wilkie, is also from Will Doolittle's film.
5: We're just so pleased to meet those people and have the spiritual relationship that came about through that, And, and their feelings for their fishery and how it related to our feelings with the eel.
2: The Maori understood the Winnama Wintu's connection to salmon because they have a similar sacred relationship to the longfin eel, a creature that also travels long distances
6: to spawn. <laughs>
2: the Maori took their visitors out to the Rakaia River. For four days, the Winnemum to prayed, fasted, danced, and sang in front of the descendants of their salmon who had survived in this faraway part of the world.
3: Yeah, we, we put our kind of a blood, sweat, and tears there. We got to see say it out there, you know, put it down. And like, I really feel, I feel connected out there. I really feel love for that place out there. I feel, feel love for the people out there and for the mountain ranges. I feel... I feel like it's a part of me, in, in a way, in a big way. Our salmon are there, you know, and, and we're, we're spiritually connected.
2: At one point, the went Wintu glimpsed salmon swimming in the Rakaia River. Filmmaker Will Doolittle captured Chief Kalleen's reaction. There he
6: goes.
1: It's a good sign that they did the little dance right here. Because the Maori are saying, well, don't get too close to the river because they'll dart away but those salmon stayed right there it was like we sang to them and we prayed to them and they, and they just showed themselves you know and they were right there um, in that riffle going back and forth while we were just there you know so it wasn't like they it was almost like they knew we were coming or they knew you know who we were it was pretty incredible
2: They say California's large-scale hatchery operations mess with the salmon and decrease their ability to survive in the wild. But this one was small and low-tech. It didn't bother them. They got to release juvenile fish into the river. It was an emotional moment for Chief Kaline's daughter, Marine Sisk, recorded for the movie Dancing Salmon Home. Letting the fish go. That
5: was hard. Because it was like getting to see somebody for the first time and then having to let them go, I thought about how me and my brother all my cousins never got to see
2: them come up the river. When she got back from New Zealand, Chief Colleen began meeting with US and California government officials anyone who could help bring the salmon back to the McLeod. fishing game?
1: All of, Noah, them. Noah, all of them. All of them. Oh okay. Everybody who would be interested in returning the salmon to the United States. But the federal government had its own
2: ideas for how to restore salmon on the McLeod River. It wanted to use salmon from a hatchery just below Shasta Dam that breeds one species, the endangered winter-run Chinook. It's the place I visited in the last episode. This disagreement about which fish to use was a constant source of tension between the Winnemum Wintu
1: and the feds. But the hatchery fish are totally like a different fish. They don't have the muscle structure. They don't have the insight. They don't have the ability to climb a mountain in them. You know, they're, they're a weaker species with with less knowledge about the spiritual connection.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The winter run are a mixed population of hatchery and non-hatchery fish. In contrast, the New Zealand fish are mostly wild. And these are the fish the Wintu feel the greatest connection to. These are the fish they want in their river. They're determined to jump through every hoop the government puts in front of them. A few years back, the big hang-up had to do with genetics. The government wanted to tease out a small mystery, which of the four Chinook runs made it to New Zealand. Was it fall, late fall, winter or spring? A large grant from the U.S Bureau of Reclamation, along with more money raised by the Winnemo Wintu, paid for the studies.: And so these, these are...
1: are the traps. That would be installed. A it's trap
2: 2018. In Chief Kaline and I sit at her dining room table in Reading. Her laptop computer is propped open. She's showing me photos from her latest New Zealand trip, the first one since 2010.
1: Yeah, this, this trap is pretty, it's a pretty simple trap. It's like maybe two feet high, and it's um, about eight feet across. And then it has a little trap door in the middle where the fish can come through, but they can't get back out.
2: Salmon caught in the traps will have a small fin sample removed and mailed to the states. There, scientists began to evaluate their DNA. While she believes all runs belong in the McLeod River, Chief Kaline was hoping for proof of a winter or spring run. Those are the populations most imperiled in California the ones the United States government would most likely agree to bring back.
1: It's Michael, he's got his waders on. He got to get in there and catch some fish.
2: Her son, Michael Preston, and nephew, Nick
1: Wilson, helped out with the traps. He was he was pretty happy. Everybody, yeah, Mike and uh, Nick were really in their high, <laughs> doing the salmon, catching the fish.
2: How did it feel to see them
1: catching the fish? It's it's something that they should be doing, you know. It's, it's pretty special.
2: New Zealand has given the Winnemawintu a chance to be with their salmon again. In California, they don't have that physical connection. Chief Kaline is determined to restore it. As a kid, she had the chance to learn from her elders. Shasta Dam had done its damage to the McLeod, but her family still fished other rivers in the area.
1: We know how to toggle fish, we know how to <laughs> we know all the fishing techniques. We know where to get the fish. We know what the river looks like when it has um, salmon in it. The waves on the, uh, the riffles, how it changes.
2: The generations that have come after her missed those opportunities. More dams went up, taking out more habitat. The Sacramento River still had salmon, but in the 1970s, the family noticed a change. The meat became mushy. There were bugs in the gills. Do you feel like worried that there's a generation that's growing up without the salmon?
1: We are worried. um, I mean, we have members right now who really don't care to eat salmon. You know, then, yeah, we have a problem.
2: Environmental cues connected to salmon have also disappeared.
1: It's like if you see this purple flower in bloom, you don't really know that it's related to the runs of salmon anymore. But we should. We should retain that knowledge that's thousands of years old, that never fails us. The Winamum Wintu are battling to
2: bring salmon back to the McLeod River for the generations to come. It's a slog that's lasted almost two decades now. It turns out, at least from what scientists can tell, there are no winter run in New Zealand. But there are likely spring run, and they're a threatened species. The government has said New Zealand salmon could be brought back to California. Maybe. Because now there's another hurdle, pathogen tests, to make sure the New Zealand salmon
1: are disease-free. And so now we have to come up with that much more money to do the pathogen tests.
2: The obstacles are seemingly endless, but occasionally the minimum went to get a sign of hope. Like at the end of this sunrise ceremony in the fall of
6: 2019.
2: <speaking in> Chief Kaline, her sister Helene, and a few others stand on a meadow with a full view of Buyon Puyuk, also known as Mount Shasta. <speaking in> In the snow and rocks, they saw a few shapes. Here's Helene.
1: We saw uh, on the mountain, it looked like Granny holding a basket in front of her with fish jumping out of it. And in front of that was a, it looked like a bear that was pulling, pulling rocks or something like that with its forepaws. Maybe the salmon will be back, I'm thinking. Like if she had the salmon up there, maybe the salmon will return. And the bears are clearing the way for them, maybe. Yeah, it was nice. Nice to see that.
0: When we come back... Chief Kaleen Sisk shares the story of the remarkable discovery her granddaughter made. Is this a clue to the future of the Chinook Salmon and the Winnemum Wintu? We'll find out. That's right after this break. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back. Stay with us. friends, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. If you're just joining, we're listening to the last installment in this special series of Prayer for Salmon. Let's get back to the story with producer Judy Silber. When
2: into, Chief Callie and Sisk and I stand off to the side of a bridge, not too far from Shasta Reservoir, and where she and other Winnemum Wintu
1: live. We're on Dry Creek <laughs> Road at one of the uh, second bridges, In uh, we're about three miles from the village.
2: In the and summer, the bridge passes over a very dry creek bed. But it's December now, and water a few feet deep rushes past. A few months ago, just as heavy rain started up, she
1: was here with her granddaughter. Maya, my granddaughter, we were riding home, and she was sitting in the back seat right behind me, and I was talking to, on the phone, and the roadway here, from here, this point on, you lose signal. So I pulled over right here to finish my conversation, and she got out to come down to the stream. It was
2: 2021, and at the time, Maya was five years old.
1: And so she was at the stream... And playing in the water.
6: I see a water.
1: Yeah, you see the water, and then? Maya yelled out, Salmon! (laughs) And then she came running up to the car. At
2: first, Chief Kellyn doubted Maya had really seen a salmon. No one had spotted one in this creek for decades. She got out of the car and walked down to the creek. And to come down and see that, in fact, it is a salmon. Chief Kalene and Maya followed the fish a little ways upstream. When they lost sight of the salmon, they came back to the bridge where Maya wanted to play.
1: And so we were playing, and she was in the water there, and uh, here they come downriver.
2: The salmon had turned around. Several had swum back to the bridge to dig spawning nests
1: in the middle of the creek. And uh, she goes
2: sing grandma. (laughs) Maya knew the protocol. Her grandmother should sing. Can you point to me where you saw the salmon? Where did you see? Right
1: there. Right there. Right right there. there.
2: Yep. And right there. These were fall run Chinook salmon named because they leave the ocean to migrate upriver in the fall. Of all the runs on the river, fall run are the most abundant, but their numbers have decreased a lot since the 1800s, and it's gotten even worse in the past few decades.
1: They used to swim up here all the time. My uncle would pitchfork them out from behind the village and, you know, cook them on the barbecue right there. But for decades, they've been gone. To
2: see them in the creek with Maya, and later to see them spawn was proof of concept for Chief Kelleen that salmon could be restored, both here below Shasta Reservoir and up above it on the McLeod, a river the Winnemum went to have a special relationship with.
1: So it was, it was like a miracle, you know? It's like a prayer that's coming true. This is something that can actually happen. And those salmon already know it. And they're help, I feel like they're helping us to explain this to the fish experts who think, well, they haven't been there for 30 years. They're not coming back. If we put those songs and prayers on the water, they respond. Mm-hmm. ¶¶
2: I'm here with Lila June Johnston again. She wrote an anthropology paper with the Winnemum Wintu during her time at Stanford University, and she's also a musician. Hi, Lila. Hi, Judy. So, Lila, all of us think about the future, but there's a big difference in the way most Americans think about the future versus indigenous people. The American ideal has to do with creating technological fixes for our problems, so we're making electric cars, we're thinking about colonizing Mars.
4: Well, Elon Musk, in his futuristic vision, sees people on Mars. Chief Colleen Sisk, in her futuristic vision, sees salmon in the McLeod River Basin.
2: And of course, there are no salmon there right now.
4: No, they were blocked by the Shasta Dam in the 1940s. And so her futurism is not about escaping Earth or doing something cool and fancy. In my my opinion, it's more about taking care of the earth that we have and restoring the vitality and the biodiversity of that life. Um, So a lot of indigenous futurism is ecologically based. How do we ensure that these life systems will be uh, available, not just to human descendants, but even to the children of bears, the children of eagles, the children of salmon, To us, they're people, too, even though they're not people. And so we really have our futurism tied up in our responsibility to take care of these things as they take care of us.
2: In the future envisioned by the Winnemum Wintu, salmon are once again thriving in northern California. They want salmon spawning in the McLeod River, where their ancestors lived, up above Shasta Dam, where they have not been since the dam's construction. Seeing salmon in the McLeod again is also a goal of the federal government, though the Trump administration had mostly put reintroduction on hold. But by 2021, planning had picked up. And for the win Wintu, these conversations felt different. The government was requesting input in a more collaborative
1: way. Chief Kaline told me she was attending a lot of Zoom meetings. We're on a Zoom call. And if it's not with the State Water Board about the fish, it's with NOAA and the US Fisheries and California Fishing Game.
2: With so many meetings, she'd lose track of what each one was about.
1: And it's like, it has one little piece, but it's not that meeting. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Well, I'm confused. Wait, you're so
2: confused? You, <laughs> so, like, so, so you're saying, like, sometimes you don't know who you're talking to.
1: Yeah, sometimes I, it feels like, oh, I need to say this to these guys. And then they'll say, it's like, oh, we're not doing that project. All of these government officials had
2: one goal. They wanted eggs from an endangered population, the winter-run salmon, in the McLeod River. The cold waters could help protect them from drought, which is coming more frequently and for longer periods in California. Their plan to deal with Shasta Dam was to truck juveniles around it. Chief Kaleen had opinions about that. Our thing is that
1: um, we're in favor of the truck and haul for at least a couple years.
2: But after that, she wanted a natural passageway built. It would reroute the salmon around the dam by way of tributaries and creeks. Possibly a tunnel would also be needed for at least a short stretch. But the big idea was to let fish swim on their own out to the ocean and back. This isn't the focus of current government plans. So on those Zoom calls, Chief Kaline is always bringing it up. She also has a different idea about where to source salmon eggs for the McLeod.
1: We are not in favor of using hatchery fish.
2: The government wants to use winter-run
1: eggs from a hatchery. But the Winamumwin too. We are pushing for eyed eggs from New Zealand. These are the fish we want.
2: More than a century ago, eggs from the McLeod and other nearby creeks were shipped to New Zealand. Ever since, the fish have swum in that country's cool mountain waters. The to feel an affinity for the New Zealand fish. These are the salmon they want. But the U.S. government has resisted the idea. Instead, they prefer winter-run hatchery eggs because the winter-run are in trouble. In the
5: spring of 2022, government officials were scared. This was kind of early on in the season, but it was the driest January, February, March we had had on record. Kathy Marcinkevich is an administrator with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. California was in a drought. A couple of staff and I came out of some really depressing meetings where we saw those projections and said, you know, we need to figure out what we can do. Chinook salmon
2: have a three-year life cycle. The drought had wiped out winter run eggs for two years running. If it happened yet another year, that could be the end of winter run, the end of a salmon population not found anywhere else in the world. The agency realized it had to move fast. They decided to plant adult winter run in the upper part of Battle Creek, a tributary of the Sacramento
5: River. To put them into Battle Creek, where there are cooler waters, and that, you know, got fish into a part of that river that hadn't been there for a hundred years.
2: Then they thought about the McLeod River. Could they get fish up there? It would be a year
5: earlier than planned. NOAA officials approached the Winnemum Wintu. We did start talking to the tribe just to say, so you know, it's a really bad year. We don't want this run to go out on our watch. We're doing what we can. We have these other actions. There's one we maybe want to seize this opportunity to try to take. What do you think? And we started the conversations.
1: A lot of things are problematic.
2: The government wasn't going to move forward without Winam and Win 2 buy-in. But in May of 2022, Chief Kellyn Sisk was still thinking. She weighed the pros mm-hmm. and cons. Yes, yeah, getting get there, it. our time, our knowledge. These may sound trivial compared to a fish going extinct. But the mm-hmm. Winamum went to haven't right. forgotten the mistreatment and broken promises of the past two centuries. They resent being called in to contribute time and money without
1: much compensation. And they're using fish that they absolutely know that we have been objecting to using at all. They want to save the winter run. They want to do this. They want to do that. They want us to work for free to get it done because we can't possibly let the winter run die off after all these years of them killing them every year. It's like it's our it's our emergency now <laughs> to save the salmon.
0: This is inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Ambreen Khan. We're listening to the conclusion of a special series, a prayer for salmon from our friends at the spiritual edge. Producer Judy Silber brings this story to a close.
1: So, um, tell, me about,
6: tell me about what's going to happen. What do, you, what do you think is going to happen? So, we did our flow test here.
2: Chief Kalin Sisk and Matt Johnson, an environmental scientist with the California Fish and Wildlife Service, stand on a small gravel beach next to the noisy waters of the McLeod.
6: So, how do you feel about this spot here,
2: if Chief Kaline agrees to this spot, winter-run salmon eggs could be hatching here for the first time in about 80 years. And so I wanted uh, you to get smoked off. Chief Kaline tells Matt Johnson they'll do a cleansing uh, do ritual, smudge him off earth. with the smoke of a lit root. Since you're representing
1: those people who are going to be, you know, they're going to be here, they're going to try to take care of the, we call them NURF, the, uh, the manure salmon. or the salmon. Uh, they used to be here a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, They're not here now, but we
2: and the river want them back. He removes his cap. He stands with arms slightly outstretched, palms facing the river, eyes closed, as a tribal member waves the smoke around. He tells me later he had no idea any kind of ceremony would happen.
6: I did not dress for it. <laughs> i'm in flip-flops and <laughs> <in> shorts <laughs> i don't <laughs> i have, don't have a tradition in uh, church or anything uh so i'm i haven't had a lot of experience with a uh, ceremony best i could say is i i i felt something from the experience and uh, it was an honor to be a part of it Matt
2: Johnson tells me for the past 20 years, he's worked with salmon on the tributaries of the Sacramento River. And over that time, he's watched the fish decline. He says this area could still support robust salmon populations. But California would need to rethink how it manages its
6: rivers. Our water management in the last 20, 30 years is such that salmon are barely hanging on.
2: Nature used to command the river. Now it's humans. Normally, in the fall and winter months, water would gush down the Sacramento River with the rains. Migrating salmon evolved to use those conditions. But over time, more and more water has been saved and diverted for cities and farms. And now, because of climate change, California has less to go around. Salmon populations are suffering.
6: They're relying on those few wet winters or wet cycles we get, and we, we, we see a, a response from salmon in those years, and then we get right back into drought conditions.
1: So when I was praying and stuff, I could feel like my great-grandma, chokey would be be growing up in this village as a little girl. This would be her life way. Chief Kellyn's
2: great-grandmother was born at a Winnemawintu village here in about 1871. 25 years later, the village site passed into the hands of a wealthy San Francisco family, as did other land along much of the McLeod River. Eventually, the National Forest Service acquired this land and turned it into a campground. Even though Chief Kaleen would have preferred salmon eggs from New Zealand, she still gets emotional imagining any salmon swimming in the river. She thinks
1: about the young Winnemamwintu. You know, maybe we have that chance now to make it happen again so that Maya could see that, or, you know, star, or rose, or lily, all of the little ones. ...to see salmon again on the McLeod. And give them that strength, you know, to, to be good people. That's what I feel like they'll, <laughs> that they'll bring this goodness. They'll bring forward. the goodness back. <laughs> Can you believe that this is happening? Well, I am skeptical. <laughs> I'm pretty skeptical, but, but I want it to be done right. Two weeks
2: later, we're back at the same place. This time, the campground is full with Winnemum Wintu supporters and biologists from state and federal agencies, all here to see salmon eggs go in the McLeod. Sweating in the hot sun, Jamie Ward and other Winnemum Wintu men construct a circular ceremonial structure called an arbor.
6: Uh, well, right now it's just a skeleton of what uh, Will look like. It's just our poles that are upright and our, and then our strengthening um horizontal poles that are we're connecting.
2: When it's done, they'll light a sacred fire in the center and cover an outer ring of posts with Douglas fir boughs.
6: Not for only shade, but just the whole overall presence of uh, what we're doing here, which is we're going to dance here for the hopefully the beginning journey of our salmon.
2: In just a few hours, winter-run salmon eggs will be placed in incubation barrels down at the river.
6: So that's why it's important for us to lay down a very good um, uh, ceremony here and lay down our prayers here.
2: David Martinez is an elder in the tribe. He stands watching off to the side.
6: We've got pictures of my grandfather holding salmon. He was six foot tall, salmon chest high, and their tails touching the ground that he pulled out of the McLeod River. I want to see it work. I want to bring my relatives home. It's for all of humanity, and it's all all for the Earth. Every living critter, every every tree,
4: every bush, and for the water. we got to bring them home.
2: When the winter run eggs arrive, it's almost anticlimactic. Taylor Lipscomb from the Livingston Stone National Fish Hatchery helps pull a small orange Home Depot cooler from the back of an SUV. Um,
6: So this is
3: a five-gallon cylindrical cooler with uh, 20,000 winter run eggs in it, in water.
2: It could be filled with lemonade. Somehow, I expected more early this morning, a small crew at the hatchery counted the eggs out by hand. The eggs are 30 days old and will hatch in about two weeks. Near the arbor, the cooler at their feet, Chief Kaline and Taylor Lipscomb talk logistics. And we're going to sing uh,
1: the wire song, the hoop um, for the eggs, the Lindada noor. We're asking these to become Ndara Nyora means old-time salmon. They remember to be those old-time salmon in this water because they haven't been there for 80 years.
2: (laughs) As everyone watches, Chief Kaleen's daughter and niece pick up the cooler, step into the center of the arbor, and circle clockwise around the sacred fire.
1: And the intent was to... Um, have the sacred bless those eggs. This is the first sacred fire
2: the Winnemamwintu have had at this village site likely in over 100
1: years. And so it was an important thing for us to bring them in. It's like um, our belief is whatever happens to the salmon happens to us.
2: The young women navigate the steep, narrow trail down to the river. Behind them follow a few Winnemum children, Chief Kaleen and Taylor Lipscomb, the fisheries biologist who brought the eggs. He helps the children scoop the eggs into a camping cup and then empty them into an incubation barrel.
1: I would like to ask the agency people to
2: come up. In a ceremony that follows, Chief Kaleen calls the 10 federal and state agency people here into the center of the arbor.
1: Uh, We would like to take you around the fire. We would like to smoke you off so that um, maybe you see things in a different way after this. Maybe you'll feel things in a different way.
2: In front of the sacred fire, she invites each one of them to speak. It's emotional. These are people who work with the salmon all the time.
6: Personally, my colleague and I, we work a lot on salmon below Shasta Dam. And in the past decade it's just been bad news after bad news and just monitoring the demise of salmon and, and this is one of the few moments that's soul nourishing and inspiring and
5: motivating. So it's good.
2: there's a lot of hope at this ceremony, a lot of imagining what could be. But Chief kaline knows this is not a fairy tale ending. The work is not done. She turns 70 in a few months, and she's tired. She wants fish in the river and in her lifetime. She wants to know that she set salmon and the Winnum Wintu on a good path.
1: We're, we're showing the traditions of these salmon coming back. You see these little people in Regalia? They're five years old. They have a long way to go with these salmon, and it's going to continue, so you, you need to deal with this. That's
2: her message to the government, that the Wintu's connection to the McLeod and salmon is only going to grow. For the first time in her lifetime, young Wintu are seeing salmon eggs on their own river with their own eyes. Chief kaline says if the salmon can come back, maybe the tribe can bounce back as well. Thank you.
0: Prayer for Salmon is a project of the spiritual edge and support for the series comes from the Templeton Religion Trust, California Humanities, the Calliope Foundation, Save Our Spirits and the Water Desk, an independent journalism initiative of the University of Colorado Boulder. Judy Silber, Adriana Rodriguez, and Deborah Kroll were the producers for this multi-part series. Editors included Loretta Williams, Jeb Sharp, and Deborah George. Tarek Fauda and Chris Agusa are the sound engineers, and Tom Levy is a photographer. Lindsay Myers-Hamley is the digital content manager, Kate McClutchin contributed to research, and Abdel Abdelhamid is the fact checker. Special thanks to Will Doolittle, For use of audio from the documentary, Dancing Salmon Home. That's all for this week's show. If you'd like to take another listen to the full series, A Prayer for Salmon, links can be found in this week's show notes at interfaithradio.org. And while you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter, send us a message, and... Take us on the go. Subscribe to Interfaith Voices wherever you listen to your podcasts. And when you do that, help us out. Leave a rating and review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy, Music by Blue Dot Sessions, and Audio Binger. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners and our friends to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Friends, wherever you are, I hope you are well. I hope you are safe and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.